saying attributed to St. Augustine goes, Hope has two beautiful daughters. The names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. No one seems to know where or even whether Augustine actually expressed such a thought. To be honest, it sounds more like something a modern would say. The view of the ancients was much less approving of anger than in our day. The ancient attitude was more like the one expressed by the 4th century monk who warned, If when you want to reprove someone you are stirred to anger, you are pandering to your own passion. Lose not yourself to save another. The old monk's restraint seems peculiar to modern ears. Everybody gets angry. We're pretty sure that some people deserve our anger. Besides, anger is just an emotion, an expression of our righteous indignation. When it's rightly employed, anger can be the fuel that energizes change. At least that's how we see it. Perhaps we're right in thinking this. As the words attributed to St. Augustine suggest, maybe anger really is the offspring of hope. Could anger be a fire kindled in the soul by a vision of a different world? We've removed anger from the list of deadly sins, given it a new name, and declared it to be a virtue. We call it justice. The rhetoric of justice has become commonplace in our day, both inside and outside the church, but a common definition of what we mean by the term is hard to find. For some people, justice means racial reconciliation. For others, it speaks of economic restructuring and redistribution of wealth. Those who serve meals in the homeless shelter, others who work with victims of human trafficking, and people who disrupt traffic on the expressway to protest police shootings all believe that they're working for justice. Often what we call a hunger for justice is really only anger. Justice is a biblical virtue and a foundational requirement of law. The standard of biblical justice is righteousness, a measure that is established by God. The boundaries of what constitutes just behavior are not subject to the whims of the majority. In Scripture, righteousness is a matter of conformity, not consent. Today's justice warriors often seem to have a very different view. We live in a vigilante culture where those who don't like the outcome of due process take matters into their own hands. This view essentially equates justice with bullying. This is true whether it's a virtual mob whose posts on social media endeavor to shout and shame, or a literal mob that surrounds someone whose views they oppose to intimidate. But we don't need to look any further than Jesus to find that there really is such a thing as virtuous anger. Jesus' anger is an extension of the ultimate expression of virtuous anger, the wrath of God. Both testaments speak of God's anger. Divine wrath is a measure of the distance that sin has introduced into our relationship with God. We know what it's like to be the focus of someone's displeasure and to experience rejection. The Bible's language of divine wrath is intended to remind us of what it's like to be in an oppositional relationship with God. The emphasis is not on God's emotional state so much as it is on our position. Sin makes us God's enemies. He is opposed to us because we are opposed to Him. Unrighteousness always places us at cross-purposes with God so that we cannot be in harmony with Him. As Christians, we are comfortable with the notion of grace. It's a part of our vocabulary. The nomenclature of grace is embedded in the songs we sing. 
But while we sing about grace, what we desire in many cases is retaliation. We are like Prince Felix, foreign minister of Austria, who was discussing what should be done with the captured rebels after the Hungarian revolt was suppressed in 1849. When someone suggested that it would be wise to show mercy toward the rebels, he agreed. Yes, indeed, a good idea, he said. But first, we will have a little hanging. A desire for justice is legitimate, as are many of the concerns of those who call for it. Unfortunately, what we call justice can also be nothing more than sentimentality expressed in the form of anger. This sentimentalized quest for justice trades on impatience. It misrepresents evil by oversimplifying its nature. We're willing to shout, carry a sign, or post to social media, but that's about as far as our plan of action goes. Anger is our only real contribution to the cause. On the other hand, Micah 6.8 shows us what true justice looks like in practice. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly is to do the right thing. For the Jew, this meant conformity to the standards of God's law. For Israel's rulers, it involved the application of the law's provisions and demands across all sectors of society. But the obligation to act justly was not exclusive to those who governed. In Micah's prophecy, examples of unjust behavior include many that were drawn from daily life. They weren't limited to the sins of rulers or even the rich. They involved sins of the marketplace and the family, as well as the ruling powers. Justice is the burden of the state, but it is also the obligation of the individual. Justice is a concern that stretches from the boardroom to the bedroom. The greatest obstacle facing us in our quest for justice is the fact that we are, by nature, fundamentally unjust. When the New Testament speaks of righteousness, it speaks of the righteousness that comes to us from God as a gift through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, who has established righteousness as his standard, is also the only source of the righteousness he requires. By sending Jesus Christ to be a sacrifice of atonement, God was able to maintain his standard of righteousness while providing righteousness to those who had none of their own. God is the only one who has a right to feel righteous indignation. He keeps the accounts, and he alone can execute ultimate justice. The day of vengeance belongs to the Lord. But God is also the only one who can satisfy his wrath. He is the just one, and the one who justifies, because the only righteousness God will accept is his own. To do justice in this New Testament sense means much more than social activism. It means that we will reflect Christ's righteousness in our ordinary lives by the power of Christ. Doing justice is not a matter of living up to God's standard, but one of living out that standard through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To act justly in this Christian sense also means to act out of mercy. This includes specific acts of mercy, but it also involves more. The command of Micah 6.8 is to love mercy. The Lord calls for more than a practice of almsgiving. To love mercy is to cultivate a merciful disposition. Not long after I started driving, I had to go to court over an automobile accident. It wasn't a big one, just a fender bender. But it was my fault. I hit a patch of ice and slid into an oncoming vehicle. 
There were no injuries, and the damage to both cars was repairable. As the police officer wrote me a ticket and told me that I needed to appear in court, the other driver assured me that he would be there to make certain that I received the highest penalty. I was terrified as the date approached. I'd never been to court before and wondered what the punishment might be. I stood before the judge's raised bench and shook as he reviewed the details of my case. How do you plead? he asked. I stand mute, I replied. The judge looked around the courtroom. Is the driver of the other vehicle present? he asked. Nobody answered. Is the officer who wrote the ticket in the courtroom? the judge inquired. He was not. Case dismissed, the judge curtly declared. The wave of relief that swept over me was palpable. It felt like mercy, but it was not. The judge dismissed my case on a technicality. He couldn't declare me guilty because there was nobody there to testify against me. Mercy is something else. Mercy belongs only to the guilty. For the Christian, mercy is not a verdict, it's a person. Because Jesus took our place, God's verdict of righteousness for the believer is no mere legal fiction. When the Bible calls us righteous, it means what it says. For this reason, the word that the Bible uses to describe God's verdict is not mercy, but justice. By sending Jesus to stand in my place, God was able to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, according to Romans 3.26. It's only through this lens that we can understand what it means to be just in the biblical sense of the word. Justice is not outrage. Neither is it revenge. Justice is righteousness, which is first received as a gift and then displayed as a testimony to God's grace. It is the habit of walking with an awareness of God's goodness, knowing that he has shown us mercy and empowered us to do the right thing. Justice is an act of faith that trusts God to look out for our interests. Justice is the offspring of hope that has two beautiful daughters. Their names are Grace and Truth. For the law was given through Moses, but Grace and Truth came through Jesus Christ.